This episode of the Event Industry News Podcast is sponsored by Evolution Dome, award-winning temporary inflatable event structures. Take a look at their structures at evolutiondome.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Event Industry News Podcast with me, James Dixon, wishing you all a very good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever or wherever you tune into our podcast from today. And uh, another warm one here in the UK today. For context, uh, we're recording on Monday the 12th of June, and uh, for our overseas uh, followers who think that it's all grey skies and, and cloudy and drizzly rain, then I'm delighted to tell you that it's completely that that's all bets are off this week at the moment. It's absolutely stonking outside in the UK at the moment. Glorious days. Everyone in the UK is sat outside with glasses of wine for our international listeners. We're all that's all we're doing this week is we're all sat outside with cold beer and glasses of wine. Um, on to today's episode, and uh, we're going to be talking a bit about, about scaling events and, and exhibitions, which um to avoid rampant narcissism i do have a, a little bit of experience of now um having been on the production team for event tech live for the last few years and having um been out in las vegas when we delivered the first event tech live las vegas um a couple of months ago um my guest today is the ceo of the Raccoon Media Group um, and is a name that crops up regularly on event industry news. These guys have won awards. They've been through significant expansion over the last few years that has seen their, their brands and the shows and the events that they operate really sort of boom and become a major player in the events industry, not just in the UK now, but internationally. I'm delighted to say that Mike Seaman joins the event industry news pod- podcast. Mike, a very warm welcome to you. Thank you for having me, mate. I feel like I should be outside with a, with a cold beer rather than doing this after that intro. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what I'm going to do at the end of today's recording. Um, yeah, as I said, it, 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 I would say, and, and, and no doubt you'll agree with me, that, that, that rapid expansion is maybe somewhat of an understatement, really, when you look at where you started, where you sit today um, as an organisation. Um, for anybody that might not have come across you before in some of the news articles, I would I would first of all say to anybody tuning into this today, have a quick search on Event Industry News because you'll find several articles with Mike's name in there and give you a bit of context. But let's go back to the beginning and just to tell us a little bit how the uh, how Raccoon Events started as it was. Yeah, it was Raccoon Events back then. Um, we, uh, well, I... I I'd sort of worked in the industry for a long time. I worked for a number of the big organizers and loved it. I just love events. It's kind of pretty much all I've ever known. Um, and then uh, in 2016, we we sort of finally had the idea for the National Running Show, which is when we incorporated as a company. We ran our first event in 2018. That was me and a few mates in a shed at the end of my garden with a ropey air conditioning unit that kept <laughs> one half of you cold and the other half boiling hot. Um, and it was... I was prepared for everything except for it to succeed. Um, and <laughs> Brilliant. And I, was, and I was like, oh, man, it's worked. Um, and then it, it, it rumbled on from there. And that show's now uh, still our biggest show, although we, the Outdoor Expo is creeping up on it. But that, that show's just developed a life of its own. It's phenomenal now. It does like nearly 30,000 people. It's, mm. a, it's like the, the start of the running season. Um, and we built our business from the success of, of that particular event. Um, sort of fast forward now, we've got 10 events, uh, seven in the UK, three in the States. Uh, we've grown mainly by launching, but we have acquired two shows. Um, so we've got a cycling show, we've got a couple of snow shows in the UK, we've got the running show, we've got the equine show, outdoor show. Uh, we've just acquired the 
allergy and free from and just v shows um so that uh, that should have been announced i think that might not have been announced yet so that might be an exclusive um, well, well they are they are on your website i would say ah. So, okay, so they well, are, they are live on your website. So they're very much announced. Go and check out the website, everybody. Yeah, check out raccoonmediagroup.com. Um, it's uh, so we've got those things, and then in the states, we acquired a snow show out there. Um, we ran a running show, and we just launched this year for the first time our outdoor expo. And all three of those are in Boston. Um, so yeah, we've 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 gone from being in a shed. We went to a slightly posher shed, and now we've got an office. And then we went for a slightly bigger office, and that's all happened since 2018 when that first show ran so it does feel like a a crazy ride if you factor in that there was that covid thing happened in the middle of all of that i was going to say yeah there's <laughs> a sort of a big sort of white elephant in the room in the middle of that 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 sort of yeah. uh, time period isn't there when we look at where you started where you are now and then not only is that rapid expen- expansion happened in what would be a short period of time regardless but the caveat and the sort of the asterisk down the bottom is with two years where you probably couldn't do anything well, yeah, I mean, though it did, it, it did, I think it was the biggest opportunity that our industry had ever had, um, if you could time it right. Yeah. So, you yeah. time when it came back, um, because the resurgence of live events post-COVID was, was huge. I mean, people, people are loving it. They're straight back in. So, our strategy was launch and build during COVID, as opposed to, you know, try and shift what we do we, we did we did do a bit of digital stuff and actually that was part of the rebrand from when we went to raccoon events to raccoon media group was we realized that we had an opportunity to become a multi, multi-platform media business as opposed to just a straight up exhibition business mm-hmm. um you know we've got best part of half a million consumers on our database now who are yeah we've never bought those records from people because you can't in the uk it's all gdpr compliance so uh, that's a really solid group of fanatics and fans that love our brands that we can talk to 365 now we will always have live events to give them that sort of big hero point in the year where the community gets together but we also quite rightly should be talking to them throughout the year and you know selling access to that data via surveys etc and things like that so that's kind of where i see the future of the business is being a blended sort of events and digital business um but yeah it's mad I've got 30-odd people, and I sometimes walk in and go, who's paying all these people? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it's me. <laughs> um, well, one thing that, that I, I thought when I first came across Raccoon Events and I saw your brands um, a, a, a few years ago and um, and looking at it again uh, this morning before we came on to do the recording, have a look through the website. There's always talk in the event sector of, of communities and your audience and building this community amongst your audience. But when I look at the audiences to which you produce shows that, that you know, the audiences that they, they serve, cycling, running particularly, really, really, really strong communities with a strong ethic of, of collaboration and working together. If you look at the success in the UK of things like Park Run and the community that that's created and the the sort of the um, the neutral aspect in terms of its elitism. You know, anything goes. doesn't matter whether you can run fast, quickly, what time you do. There is a community there. And I'm just curious to, to ask you today whether or not the growth and the rapid growth has been helped by the communities that the events actually are serving. 100%. Um, so when we look at a market, and we're always looking to launch, I mean, we, we've, we've got anywhere between 10 and 20 ideas on the go at any one time. Um, the first thing we look at is, are they passionate, self-identifying consumers? Um, 
do they love it and are they proud of it and are they prepared to wear a badge that says i am one of these um so i'm a horse enthusiast i'm a snow sports enthusiast i'm a runner i'm a cyclist these are all the things that we we kind of look for when we move into markets because that's where you see these mobile communities that often don't get a chance to meet up um Mm. they're not given an opportunity particularly as we've been driven more and more online particularly as high street retails disappearing um particularly as live events for as in sort of the sporting events they're, they're getting more and more challenged and you know quite expensive in some cases you know to book onto a a marathon or an ultra marathon or a sportive or whatever it may be becomes you know that that can be quite expensive and becomes out of reach for some people so yeah. how do you connect those people on mass in a meaningful way that are happy to be identified in that way so in many ways we've sort of modeled ourselves on the comic-con type approach um those events are absolutely brilliant and they really engage and sort of galvanize the communities by just existing um so in all of yeah. the markets that we're in we would like to do that but we our verticals are sort of anything to do with getting people healthy or getting people active mm. and and again that, that that's obvious when you look through the through the website you know at first glance okay um equine running you know two different communities but there there are a lot of parallels in there um i, I know you probably you, you're not you're not going to just throw, shout out your ideas and what you may have up your sleeve but when you say you're sort of working on sort of 10 other ideas at any one point do they all continue that sort of theme where on the face of it they might not be the same but actually there's an underlying community or ethos that that, that retains some parallel with what you've already got yeah, that, that's very because we've got kind of a cookie cutter approach to our events. We, we they're, it's, they're actually quite similar underneath the window dressing, um, and it's we we want to make sure that we stick to what we know, we do what we're good at, and we try and replicate the successes that we've had. Um, obviously, you have to adapt when you move into each market. On the face of it, Equine and the Running Show are the least similar, but weirdly, they're actually kind of the most similar in the way that they operate because. The only events that existed in the running community previously were events that were attached to a race. And the majority of of the equine events that exist are attached to some kind of a show uh, where you actually show the horses. Whereas what we wanted to create was start season premium retail experiences. So in in, in those instances, weirdly, they're the most similar. Um, And I remember that event came about because an old friend of mine from uni, we were just chatting and she's an a horse enthusiast and I just went I bet we were chatting about what she loves and I was just like I bet I could do a running show for the horse market she's like you're mental uh and then we worked (laughs) it through and uh, a couple of glasses of wine later and then she ended up working for us and now she runs the show and it's uh, we we launched it it ran in March last year and it smashed it it absolutely smashed it um it's got its place in the calendar now and people are, yeah, I mean, it's, it's way ahead of critical path. It's, it's doing really, really well. So mm. weird how these things come about. Absolutely. A C- couple of directions that I-, I wanted to sort of maybe steer the conversation today, Mike. Um, what One's on the topic of, of sustainability. Um, it, it's a topic that, that's a subject that is basically included in every podcast I do now, that it's unavoidable, whether it, the podcast be solely focused on that topic or an element of it, you know, um, and, and we'll come on to that in a bit. But when we're talking about sort of scalability, growth, you know, moving shows on onwards and, and, and outwards, um, you've got events now that run overseas over in the USA now. Um, and 
as I said in the introduction, I've now got maybe it'd be unfair to say a little bit of experience because anybody that's that's taken an event from the UK and done it over in the USA has got probably a steep learning curve that they've gone through. Um, what was the process like of deciding that you were gonna gonna take events over to the USA? What was the sort of the catalyst for deciding there's a marketplace there and and talk us through that process? Well, it started in my usual um, uh, egotistical, I can do everything way. Um, and I mean, obviously, we knew there was a huge market out there. We had ambition from exhibitors that, that wanted to do it. And we, we knew that there were running communities over there. We knew the, the same problems existed. Um, and we we kind of perhaps sort of started to believe our own hype. We went, right, we're going to go out there. We're going to have three in the first year. Then we'll have a, this was just of the running show. Then we'll have another three and another three. And we we're trying to do all this through COVID. Um, we, we thought we could have a running show in every single state. And we got a bit fast and loose with, with perhaps the way that we started to execute. And then we had to sort of rein the vision back in again. Um, but actually, we learned a lot of lessons along the way. The way they do business is very, very different. Um, you and I talked briefly before the call about things like drainage and sort of... Yeah, cost. operationally, there, there are challenges, aren't there? They're operationally, any, anybody who's listened to this today you know who's run events both in the uk or in europe and and in the usa will know some of those logistical technical production challenges that you know differently even even down simple things mike like um working in feet and inches instead of meters for floor plans you know yeah and and that's you know you you gotta you gotta relearn that and i think there's a danger of, of applying a uk mindset to that because we were like oh my god no one's gonna ever do this like it's gonna be terrible and actually the way events work over there, they work. And actually, it's not for you to sort of come in and try and change the whole way the market operates because the UK or the European or the wherever you are, uh, way of operating is better because it's not. They're just different. And I think that was a bit of a learning curve for us. We tried to sort of like counterbalance things. So we were trying to sort of offset trade. We we're trying to buy out the trade for everybody and all of these kind of things. <laughs> it, when you start going down that route, uh, you, you just get yourself into a rabbit hole and, it, and you just forget that you've, you've actually got to make some money somewhere along the lines. And the people are quite understanding of trade. They don't like it. Um, and they don't like a lot of the operational things. And I think some of the operational things compared to working in the UK are just, you know, pretty, pretty difficult. Um, but those are the challenges that you have to get through. And that's the cost of doing business in another country. Yeah. And that, that, that said, um, something that we we realise, and, and I don't want to sort of keep keep bringing it back to our own experiences, but it's maybe a useful point of reference for you guys is that we did also realise and we had to keep telling ourselves the people who are attending and the people who are exhibiting and the people who are contracting to us are USA companies for the most part. You know the us-based company so this is what they're used to whilst it may be a little bit alien for us and a different way of doing things like you said events still happen over there it's a multi-billion dollar industry and just because it's not how we do it over here doesn't mean that the event is going to fall over and not run and if that's what they're used to just let them get on with it in some respects yeah and if you want to access you know the pretty much the biggest market in the world then you've you've got to make some concessions that perhaps they know what they're doing um and once we had our ego sort of taped down a little bit um, and we we started to acknowledge that um we started to do really well um, yeah. and we we now have focused on boston like we've got really strong community boston's a real running town and then we i was gonna say it's buying... one of the big world mar global marathons is it the boston marathon 
and, and it, running is inter, interwoven into Boston culture. It's like the, obviously the Boston Marathon itself is part of the Marathon Majors, but you've also got a lot of the major sort of footwear brands that are headquartered there. It's it's a real runner's city. Um, and it, we, we were able to mobilize the community, do a really good show, even when it was minus 22 degrees on our opening day, oh which God. is the coldest day I think they'd ever had in Boston. The river flipping froze. The mayor comes out on the telly and was like doing warnings about don't go outside or you might die. Just what you want to hear that just literally before your advert then plays on the same channel. Uh, and it's like, oh, brilliant. Thanks for that. But they're a hardy bunch. They showed up, they showed out. Um, and we bought a snow show out there as well. So we've now got two really strong shows there. And then with the feedback that we've done and the research we've done, we think we can push our outdoor show out there with equal success. So that will trade for the first time in March. Um, mm -hmm. And now we've built like a really strong base in Massachusetts. And the question for us now is where do we go next? Um, so which states or do we bring more brands across first? So uh, obviously we're looking at everything that we do in the UK and looking to see if and where it could run in the US, we will we'll grow either by um, just just sort of sort of organic growth of our existing products, but by launching and buying stuff as well. Um, and we've been very aggressive with with launches, um, partly through necessity because we didn't have a big sort of checkbook to go and wave at people to go and buy stuff. But we we have got a couple of smart acquisitions that we've made, a um, mm -hmm. couple more that we're in in the process of chatting through. So. Once we, yeah, I mean, you just have to watch your space on that, but we've now got to, <laughs> and, and as, as a strategy, work out whether it's changing location or bringing in new brands. And I think it will be possibly a combination of the two. Yeah. Go, 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 going back to this, this sort of, um, I, I think I said probably at least a hundred times, you know, to, to, two countries separated by a common language um, <laughs> when, when you look at, at the, the UK and, and the USA, but how did you find the challenge as an organizer of, of doing things like um, just even simple things like sourcing vendors? You know, we sort of take it for granted over here that you can source vendors, contractors, you know, let's meet on site. Let's do a quick walk around the venue. You know, we hop in a car or we go on a train for an hour or so. And in the UK, that's easy. How did you actually build those sort of same vendor relationships, for example, where you know, you, there's there's a, a vast ocean separating the two of you? Well, well, we didn't. We, we were quite poor at that because we were also doing a lot of this through COVID. So we couldn't. Um, so site visits even wasn't really possible. Um, so a little bit of blind faith, um, a little bit of using the connections that we had to facilitate correct connections to people that we trusted. Yeah. Um, and then a little bit of just rolling the dice um, and just hoping that people did what they said they would do. Um, and actually, that's kind of bonded us together. So the people we've got, and we've got a really strong operations team. Um, who, so we use Maelstrom, who are an outsourced operations. operations yep, yep, agency. Yep. And Matt and Fern, who, who sort of worked on it, are just phenomenal. Um, so they enabled us to sort of get the event away without too many hiccups. I think there were, you know, obviously going through COVID, it, it, everything was up in the air and it was, you know, everyone everything was late everything was this that and the other so to even deliver a show was insane um but actually to get to the point where you know we got to this year where we had quite a few i was really really pleased with yeah absolutely and it's um i suppose that it, 
that could go going back to that language thing you know that there are all sorts of even regulatory things that 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 um that we found challenging you know just you know uh, uh, we had to apply for a license you know which we'd never had to do, do in the uk but we had to apply for the to, to the to the sort of city hall in las vegas you know and, and, and obtain a, a license to host an event in a dedicated events venue um, and, and that and that changes state to state. Um, yeah. The tax oh, rules change yeah. state to state. Yeah. And yeah. It's yeah. So I mean, the, look, the, there's places you can go. Um, so DIT or whatever it's called now um, are always really good to talk to because they can facilitate local market introductions. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very lucky to have some people in the background of our business who are very experienced at doing business in the states. So you can, if they don't know the answer, then they can always point you in the direction of someone who does. Um, so that's yeah. very helpful. So make sure you have uh, influential friends that can, <laughs> that can help connect you. And SISO is very good. SISO is a really good opportunity. Um, so that's for those who don't know, that's the Society of Independent Show Organisers. And they, they operate very similar to those, your UK listeners will know the Association of Exhibition Organisers or UFI. Um, so SISO, SISO is the club you want to be in in the States. And they, they've been very, very helpful. Yeah, they had. A, we we found a really useful document on on Sisa's website. They're sort of, you know, it's it, it's, you know, their their effective guidebook for events. You know, over there, that there's a there's a really really useful and, and helpful document that you can get from Sisa's website that um, that answers a lot of you know really obvious questions. But when you are looking to go and do something over there for the first time, um, it, it, it really helped us and pointed us in the right direction and gave us answers that. We just couldn't find anywhere else um, to, to any number of simple little tasks or, or questions. Well, th this is the advantage of using an outsourced operations agency is I just say to Matt and Fern, I'm like, um, should just make it happen, please. And they do all the grown up hard work. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, to be to be I can't underestimate the importance of them to the ability to execute over there. But then there's also the things like sales and and knowing how you can sell. I mean, the F&B rules out there are very, very different um, yep, in terms yep. of what, you know, even being able to sell products for offsite consumption was pretty tricky. Um, I think we've, we've come to a resolution on that, but there's, um, yeah, there's lots of different conversations. And I think the one thing that I'm, I've realized how lucky I am in the UK is I've actually got some, I think, quite strong relationships with the venues. Um, like they're really supportive of us and mm -hmm. you know, there's always someone I can call if it goes wrong um and i think that's invaluable and and actually when and stuff does go wrong we're, we're in events it, our job is not to prevent things from going wrong it's to, to sort of kind of paint over absolutely yeah uh, plan uh, a b c and d exactly and you know that's i think having those senior level connections is really really important and if i could have my time again i probably would do more of that just sort of going out and networking i think there's a so I also do a CEO summit, which I've still never been to, but I, I kind of now realize that I really need to make that effort to be present in the market. Um, mm -hmm. Otherwise, you just get very transactional relationships, which isn't really how you get out of trouble. So, you know, for, mm -hmm. for me, I think having those deep, embedded, entrenched team relationships with your, your vendor partners, your supplier partners is, is something that I've learned to value even more. Yeah, absolutely. That that in some respects that that does move us along nicely to the subject of sustainability that I, I said I wanted to to approach and talk about. And just referencing something that you mentioned earlier on in today's episode about you know walking into the office now and seeing you know thirty people you know and going 
Yeah. Who, who, pays, who, who are all these people? You know, that, oh, it's, oh, it's my my company. Um, you know, we, there is an element of humour there, but we shouldn't shy away from the fact that taking on staff is is a significant undertaking for any business. It's a financial commitment. You know, um, that, that it, it's there's a training commitment. Um, there's a that adds a, an element of added pressure to the existing team because you know you've got to be able to pay for those, which means you've got to expand as as you're planning to do so. Um, and all of that ties into the subject of, of sustainability. Um, I would dare say that you've probably gone through periods where you've taken on quite a lot of people in a relatively short space of time. How, how have you, how did you approach accommodating them into the existing team and, and maybe designing sort of training and, and getting them up to speed as quickly as possible whilst still allowing them to learn the business? I think um, someone really smartly said to me once, the most sustainable business is a profitable one. And I think that's that's kind of, um, so when you say sustainability, I immediately loop towards environmental sustainability, but I think there's also business sustainability as well in there, which exactly. is, yeah. is your point. Um, and yeah, I think th the first thing is, is there's a sailor called, I think, I think it was Ben Ainsley, I might be misattributing it, but I think his rule was no dickheads on the boat. Um, <laughs> Sounds like Ben Ainsley, and, yeah. And, and, and I think that's quite a good motto. And we have mentioned that a few times on our journey, which is the first thing that we you've got to build is a culture. And it's got to be people who fly well principle. Everyone's got to be pushing in the same direction to, to keep you going forward. So um, that's really important to us. Are, are, you know, are you a cultural fit? Are you someone who is going to whinge and moan or you're someone who's going to just get on get pick it up figure it out make it work and we because we are so fast moving because we are quite entrepreneurial in our thinking it's not for everybody not everybody wants to run that quick um and we're, we're quite honest about what we are at the start um and that and then we're quite ruthless in those first sort of three months if people don't fit we'll move them out quite quickly um we've only ever had one person resign um and she's one of my best friends um and she basically resigned because she couldn't keep going at that pace because she's supposed to only work on one show i think by the time she left she worked on about six <laughs> and she's still one of my best friends and uh yeah I, it's it but she's the only person who's actually resigned and left us because they didn't want to be here anymore but we have moved a few people on because it just didn't quite work out um i think that's quite important i think you've got to be there's a moral obligation when you hire people um they are now in your care and in your responsibility and we try and be like a good company and i don't really know what that means but it's it's about trying to be morally responsible for the people that you look after and the markets that you serve and we kind of wrote down a list of values a list of things that we believed in um which are on our website and they're our company values and we use that to kind of set the agenda and then we sort of try and build a company culture that that supports that. So probably the biggest things for us are the accountability based, not hours based. Um, I do not want people in a business that's supposed to support health and wellness and activity outside. I do not want people feeling like it's a race to see who can stay at their desk the longest. And it's, you know, that if they're going to the gym at lunchtime, that they then got to eat their sandwich while they're on a phone call to a major client it's kind of I, I don't believe in that big brother style of management and I, I think that's shifted anyway with COVID I think a lot of companies are sort of getting onto this but we have no requirement to be in the office on any set days or any set hours but I do have KPIs for every single staff member 
about what they're expected to deliver. If you yeah. can deliver that whilst riding a horse through the Sahara Desert, working an hour a day, good for you. Um, if you want to come into the office, uh, which a lot of people do, because actually I think we underestimate, particularly the younger people in our team, some of whom maybe live at home with parents, they actually quite like coming to an office. They don't necessarily have the ability to work at home yeah. um, or necessarily enjoy working at home, but it's an option for them should they should they choose it. And I think if you treat people like grown-ups and they behave like grown-ups. Uh, then we've got all of the stuff around sustainability as in environmental sustainability. We have a very open policy on that. We have no idea what we're doing. We're not experts in sustainability, but we do want to achieve net zero by 2025. And we have been measuring our, our carbon footprint. Um, we have been doing this for a couple of years now. We measure it because we're growing at the same time. It's quite difficult to find an arbitrary measurement that actually means something because obviously the more shows we run, the more people we've got. Mm. bigger the footprint but actually what we got down to was carbon footprint per visitor because that enabled us to scale but actually still make meaningful changes to the shows and you know i could wang on about that for hours but i'm conscious yeah. you don't want to listen to me all day uh, well no because in, instead they could come to event sustainability live in november <laughs> the new show launching alongside event tech live at xl london would be the well, idea. How could I get tickets for that event, James? Where do you I don't need tickets. You can register for free if you work in the events industry and you want to find out more. Yeah, shameless plug, but it, it, it was worth, worth worth mentioning. Like you said, it, but you 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 actually touch on a really really important point because you said openly we we don't know what we're doing. We're just trying our best to to sort of figure it out and using a means at a disposal. And that's that's refreshing to hear because for a period of time, I think there was a um a reluctance amongst people who work people who work in the events industry to admit that they didn't know what they were doing that they all wanted to sort of peddle a a, a pr line about sustainability and net zero and all the rest of it we're, yeah, we're yeah. gonna we're gonna do this and these are our targets without actually really knowing how they were going to do it and what means were out there available to to measure effectively what impact they were they were creating and making and what they could potentially reduce it to longer term and th th this is why it's so important now that i think we've reached a or passed the threshold where people now like you've just done are saying look we don't know so let's talk to people who do and there are more people who do know what they're talking about doing things like uh, you we know, know we're launching event sustainability live i spoke to duncan reed on a recent episode about reset connect which is not specifically for the events industry but is a, 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 you know, a sustainability and net zero show for, for people who work in business and, and commerce. Um, yeah. it, it's no, important that this is all happening. It is difficult. I think the first, the first thing is to acknowledge that it's okay not to know all of the answers because actually no one does. Um, and, you know, we, we are quite far along in terms of what we've done um, mm. because we hired a, a very good sustainability consultant very early. We developed a roadmap, we made a plan we've adapted and learned as, as we've gone along. Um, but I, I, I don't think it, there's no quick and easy win here. There's, there's no silver bullet. And there's lots of people who are peddling products or greenwashing where they and you've got to be a little bit careful on that um, because mm. at some point that is going to get regulated and you know, it, it's not good enough to say I'm sustainable, sustainable because I'm not that. Um, now, events, I believe, genuinely are sustainable at the heart of what they do because you bring people together into a single place at one time where they can get everything they need in one hit rather than going to. So, in my instance, instead of going to five different sports shops or ordering 
20 different items online and then sending 15 of them back. Um, you, you can come to one place, you can try everything, you can buy it and you can walk out with it. So I believe that is by its nature quite a sustainable procurement process. And that, that's the same across most markets. However, that doesn't give us the excuse to not do anything and not to change our behaviors. So sure, if yeah. we can change the way we operate, look at the way we build and design a show, look at the way that we travel to and from a show and look at the way that we educate our visitors to travel to and from a show, and then look at how we offset our impact, then then those are things that we should all be doing. And for us, it's, it's measure, reduce, measure, reduce, and then offset at the end. And that's, that's our journey towards net zero. We've done our, our first measure reduce phase, we're into our second, no, our third now measure reduce phase. Um, and then, you know, when we get to 2025, there's gonna be an offset. We're already doing loads of stuff to offset our carbon impact. We've actually, I think one of the shows is already run in at carbon neutral, um, but we've got to get down to net zero. And part of that is educating our, our three sort of customer groups, our visitors, our suppliers, and our exhibitors. Um, suppliers you know often get a hard time but some of this work done by suppliers is actually way better actually the suppliers are really really good particularly the venues the venues are amazing on sustainability yeah, um, yeah. there's always going to be one or two people who pick you up on a straw or a, a wrapper for a sandwich and this is where measurement becomes quite important because then you can see where the biggest impacts come from sure um, and it's always going to be travel um, so if you, you make a 1% different on travel and actually you, you know, you could save a forest full of trees on the big show. Yeah. But it, I mean, it's, it's difficult because you, you know, you're, you're not going to be, I'm, I'm going to stop short of sounding like George W. Bush and some of his crazy references to, you can fool some of the people all of the time and they're the ones we should concentrate on. But, um, <laughs> there, there are always going to be people who find a hole or find a thread to, to pick out a little bit you know you look at f and b in events you know pre-packaged is required because you're serving a lot of people in a short short period of time you know people will want their lunch sometime between 12 and two o'clock and so you're going to get a rush on and if you stand there and you have an outlet that's making every single sandwich fresh for people you're then going to have a group of people who complain that about how long it took to get served um you know, so there's, there's good there's good ideas in that. Now this is this is where our approach is. So I get out there and I say, look, this is what we're doing. We don't know everything, but this is what we're doing. Call us out. And ninety percent of the people will call you out on stuff that you can't do anything about. But within that, if you're genuinely listening, there are nuggets and yeah. there's ideas. And actually, just because it's something that you can't do anything about today, doesn't mean that something might come up tomorrow. So you have to genuinely listen and realize that if anyone's giving you feedback, even if you don't want to hear it, and even if it's something that you think, oh, but we've been doing it like that for 50 years, we, how can we possibly change? That just won't happen. Well, it might. Um, and if you're genuinely listening and you're genuinely collecting opinions, eventually it might change. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and we get, you know, we, we, we have probably faced and, and and had to feel the same sort of questions that that you no doubt have, have, have fielded as a, as a as a company you know when you're running an instant go back to the international event scenario you know you're you're having to fly over to to boston for events you know so there's yeah. there's air travel involved and no doubt people then question you on your well that, how is that sustainable and and yet i learned recently on on this podcast that the second biggest consumer of electricity is behind Amsterdam in the Netherlands is Facebook's um, 
store servers. The Facebook server facility that's in the Netherlands is the second biggest consumer of electricity and energy behind Amsterdam. Below that, then it's the other. Now, so when you take that as a scenario and somebody's questions, well, eight of you have flown over from the UK on aeroplanes. The reality is, is that your event in Boston, there's probably more power being used by the server space that's running everybody's mobile phones that are in that building than on your air travel. Well, or it's just replying to emails and saying thanks. Um, actually, yeah. those emails then get stored somewhere, which can, so, you know, we've tried to stop that in our organization. The, this is the minutia in terms of where we've got to. I've got a little thing at the bottom of my email that says, if I don't reply saying thank you, it's because of this. Um, fly, my argument is that, yes, flying over to the States, there's, there's no hiding it. They, we shouldn't be doing that as much as we, we are. Um, our long-term desire is to actually have a, an office in the States to make that um, less necessary. The short term, can I do anything about it? No. Um, I can't solve every single problem. And for me to stand up and say, I am completely sustainable, well, the most sustainable thing I could do would be to just kill myself and, and not run any events and not, not buy anything, not do anything. But I think there's a middle ground. I hope there is, because otherwise I'm going to. No, no, know. absolutely. Yeah. And, I think, and, and I think, you know, in the interest of, of sort of being brutally honest, I think we shouldn't be made to feel ashamed or, or, or cast asunder because we're choosing to fly over for somewhere for, for business. It's a reality of doing business. It's a reality of what we're doing. And, and it will take happening. a long time to change. It's been happening for years. And what we're doing this year is, you know, we, we have to do it. And I just feel like that sometimes in recent years, there's been an, sort of an almost an underlying uh, point that some people are trying to make that suddenly we should stop air travel completely not do it well you're going over to fly over there for business well that's not very sustainable it's unfortunately no, unavoidable. No, no, no. It, it's not about stopping everything that you do it's it's about questioning everything that you do and making small changes because we're going from, we're going from left to right but that's a gradual process and the ideological position that we could turn up tomorrow and everyone will be running events net zero is, is, is I mean, that's just impossible. It's, it's never going to be achieved. Hmm. But we've all signed a roadmap and a path. And this is why the UFI pledge, why all of the various pledges that are out there um, are time-based and they're based gradually over time is because for us to go from left to right takes takes a lot of change. A lot of things have got to happen between now and then. The airline industry is, is working on becoming more sustainable and they're learning along the way as well. So. You can't vilify an entire industry, which is really, really important to business and trade, which is important to people's well-being and livelihoods in just the same way as the planet. Um, you actually have to find a way to work constructively towards moving to creating a solution that works for everybody. Um, yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. The environment is the biggest crisis that we will ever experience in our lifetimes. And if we don't act, we're all screwed. And we, you know, as a dad, I, I kind of want to make sure that I play my part in that. But um, I think my role is, rather than questioning me on one or two flights a year that I might take, question me on the impact that I make by the changes I make across everything that I do. And Absolutely. I would hope that I get to the point that when, when I'm cast off this mortal coil, that the flights that I took were justified and that the outcomes that I delivered and the changes I made offset those. Um, mm -hmm. You know, no no one's questioning me when we plant ten thousand trees after an event. Um, but <laughs> yeah. if, if, if you ask me why I took one flight, uh, that feel that feels like maybe maybe you're not taking 
everything in the realm. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I'd need, as, as we sort of get towards the end of time on today's episode, um, just looking at it through through the dates uh, for all the events, and they're fairly well spread out throughout the year, the portfolio that, that you've now got. You've got the running shows, which pretty much run back to back in the UK and then flip straight over to, to the USA. Um, similar for the um, for the Outdoor Expo, you've sort of got a, got a four-week separation. Um, coming up, I think, if, if on the website... Um, I'm looking at National Cycling Show, 17th of June. Um, this weekend. So this weekend. Um, uh, before we wrap up today, just just give us a, a bit of a, 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 a process of where we are at the moment with that and you know how things go in in terms of numbers and all that sort of stuff. I mean, that show is flying. It's like it, We had a really hard first year with that show because uh, there was an old cycling show that used to be at the NEC and it moved. Um, and then we, we decided to launch a show. And a lot of people thought we were the same show. So they expected it to be this 20-year-old show that had everybody in it. And it was a launch for us. And there was a bit of a disconnect. We didn't quite get it right. And we were a bit, oh, you know, normally everything that we do when we launch it is amazing. Uh, but this one was okay. Uh, and we, we kind of looked ourselves hard in the mirror and went, we don't, this is not what we do. Um, and actually, I have to give credit to the team that worked on it because it has flown this year. We've got all of the big cycling brands coming into it now it's the visitor numbers are over 30 odd thousand on the pre-reg it's absolutely killing it we've got chris hoy there and loads of other people that you would expect if you're a cycling enthusiast like basically everything that you could possibly want um and, it, and it's just done so well i can take no credit for it whatsoever this will be the first show that raccoon media group has run that i'm not going to i'm actually going to be in the states looking at another event um, but Steve and Addy, who have led on that, that show, have absolutely smashed it. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a really exciting weekend. Well, that's a, that's a really sort of positive way to round up today's show because as a, you know, as, as a business, li- I, I'm I'm responsible for myself. I'm a freelancer. You know, I I have to look after me, and and that's pretty much it. As a business owner and a business leader, to be able to confidently say that you know you're not going to one of your events because you're confident in your team running that 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 that's a, probably a significant decision for you to to make individually, but. If you can confidently make it, it shows what 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 sort of a good setup and team of people are there. Yeah, hire good people, get out of the way. Somebody said once, and that's <laughs> a, the the uh, the running show this year. I was the best running show that we've ever had uh, by a mile. It like outperformed in every other metric, um, commercially, visitors, satisfaction, all of those things. And it was the only one since we'd launched it that I was not involved in. Um, so it turns out I'm the problem. Uh, so, so these guys are so much better. <laughs> So I, I, I do I, I wholeheartedly believe in that. I think if you've got good enough people around them, don't, don't micromanage and let them do what they're good at. Um, and, you know, we're lucky enough to have some really good people in this business. So I'll just get out of the way, go and have a beer in the sunshine, like you said earlier. <laughs> um, as we wrap up today's uh, podcast, um, important to point you uh, followers and listeners in, in the right direction. RaccoonMediaGroup.com. Um, it is the website for, for, for Mike's company. Go and have a, a, a little look around um, the brands and, and what it is that they're doing. Um, and and obviously all of those shows and everything that we talked about today will have their own social media platforms, LinkedIn pages, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if you're working in the industry and you want to find out a bit more about Raccoon Media Group and the various shows and brands that they operate under that banner, please do uh, head over to raccoonmediagroup.com and have a little look on their website. Really interesting stuff. Um, the other thing you can do, of course, if you're listening to 
to this podcast today uh, is head over to eventindustrynews.com. All the latest news, features, special supplements, all that sort of stuff that's happening in the industry is on the eventindustrynews.com website. If you're not already a subscriber of the uh, EIN newsletter, head over and do that. You can also see video versions of all of our podcasts if you are listening to us today. Of course, if you are already watching on the website, thanks very much for tuning in today. Have a little nosy around the other elements of the website whilst you're here. And don't forget that you can also go then in the opposite direction and subscribe to the podcast via wherever you get them from and listen to audio-only versions of those whilst you're out and about and enjoying this glorious UK sunshine. Um, it, it brings us to the end of today's episode, and it leads me really to just say thank you very much to our guests today, Mr. Mike Seaman, the C- CEO of Raccoon Media Group for uh, having a great, honest and frank conversation about uh, about some of the challenges. Believe me, if this was a late night recording and we'd had a few glasses of wine down us, um, there'd be many more things that we could discuss uh, that we did off air before uh, today's recording. But thanks. Thanks, Mike, for your time. Good luck with everything and continued success of the media group. Thank you, James. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We will see you on the next edition of the podcast. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you.